No team has put the Golden State Warriors down 0-2 in a playoff series in the Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green era until your Sacramento Kings. Not even a dirty Draymond Green stomp of DeMontis Sabonis could stop the Sacramento Kings from defending home floor. Kings go up 2-0 in the series. The cute story is now turning into a nightmare for the Warriors, and you are listening to Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all postseason long. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. First time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepix.com, promo code Locked On. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. Kings fans, you are amazing once again. The energy here inside the Golden 1 Center, just phenomenal. There's no reason really to even compare it to Saturday. It was unique, it was different, and it was loud just the same. And it certainly uh, played to the advantage of the Sacramento Kings uh, to go up 2-0 in this series. You know, a fan stopped me after the game when I was on my way down to the uh, post-game press conferences and said, hey Matt, how are you starting tonight's podcast. How are you going to start? What kind of energy are you going to bring? And there's really only one appropriate way to start with this podcast, and it sucks that we have to do this because the game was great, and the focus should be on how great the Sacramento Kings played in this game, winning this game off the backs of their defense, the play of De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell and DeMontis Sabonis, which we'll get into all that at some point in this podcast, but we have to start with the incident that happened between Draymond Green and DeMontis Sabonis in the fourth quarter. Let me be very clear to you. This is not a take based off the fact that it was a warrior doing it to a king because if it happened vice versa, if it was DeMontis Sabonis who was deliberately stomping on the chest of Draymond Green, I would say the exact same thing. There is no place, absolutely no place for that in this game. There's no place for that in sports. It is dirty. It is menacing. It is meant to harm, and that is it. Breaking down the situation, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it's on your screen. I'll, I'll play it for you in slow-mo a couple of times, and then you'll see Draymond Green egging up the crowd afterwards while DeMontis Sabonis was down for about seven minutes. But you can see, initially, contact is made by DeMontis Sabonis. He grabs the ankle of Draymond Green. Nobody's trying to deny that. The referees caught hold of that. That is why they issued a technical foul to DeMontis Sabonis. That is also potentially a dangerous play because if, if Draymond Green is turning his attentions up the floor to get out and transition right, he has his ankle grabbed, he could trip, fall, hit his face headfirst on the floor, bust himself open, they're talking concussions, things like that. Like That is also a dangerous play. But by no means does it deserve any sort of retaliation to the level of what Draymond Green retaliated against. It is absolutely a technical foul. It happens in this league all the time. Hell, the way the first game ended, right? Draymond Green and DeMontis Sabonis falling all over each other in like the final possession or one of the final possessions of the game, basically having a wrestling match on the floor. If you watch that clip back, you'll see 
Draymond Green have a hand on the leg and the hamstring of DeMontis Sabonis, which causes the two to fall down together. That kind of contact happens all the time in boxing out. The reason why I bring that up is not to excuse what DeMontis Sabonis did grabbing uh, uh, Draymond Green's ankle. It is to point out that that content, or contact happens all the time and is not nearly as egregious and as uh, uncommon as Draymond Green wrestling his foot free, clearly winding the foot up and bringing it down on the chest of DeMontis Sabonis, only to put all of his weight on that foot to jump and flail and then continue his way down the floor. It is a 100% dirty play intended to harm DeMontis Sabonis. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Draymond Green deserves to be suspended for minimum a game. I think the league needs to look into potentially suspending him multiple games for this incident. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, was in the building tonight, got a great look at the entire situation. And let me be very clear, because I I know there are Golden State Warrior fans watching that are instantly going to just chalk this up to King's Honk yelling at, at, at Draymond Green and putting all the blame on Draymond Green and just wanting Draymond Green suspended, suspended, blah, 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 blah. Let me be very clear to you. And you can go back and listen to my preview podcasts coming into this series. I like Draymond Green. I like what he brings to the league. I like what he brings to series. I like that he's a villain. I like that he talks. I like that he has a podcast. He brings drama. He brings energy. He brings intensity that is beneficial sometimes, also sometimes hurts his team, but is beneficial for his team, beneficial for ratings, beneficial for a series. I had actually truly zero issue with him egging on the crowd after the incident. Had it just been a tangle and two technical fouls called without the stomp, I would have been just fine with Draymond Green flexing and standing on the bench and waving at the crowd and yelling at the crowd. He did the same thing basically in Memphis last year when the Warriors went on to win the championship. That is who Draymond Green is, and I'm okay with that. I am absolutely 100% not okay with Draymond Green or any player basically going in Dominican Sioux and stomping out a player simply because they're maybe frustrated in the moment or with the intent to harm. I don't know if he saw red in the moment. I'm not in Draymond Green's head. But what we do know now is that this is a pattern from Draymond. Not only in the playoffs has he gotten in trouble at times, suspended for games and times for making incidental contact or bad contact, kicking players between the legs and things like that. Just earlier this season, he punched a teammate in the face. This is who Draymond Green is. He gets fed up in the moment, he gets hot, and he lashes out in a physical way that can cause harm. There is a pattern here. There is no way to excuse what Draymond Green did. Full stop. There is no defending it. Make the, Do yourself a favor. Make it two sentences. One, DeMontis Sabonis grabbing his ankle was not okay and deserved a technical. Period. Draymond Green made it worse and deserves to be suspended for stomping deliberately on DeMontis Sabonis, period. The two are separate. They are not involved. There is no way one deserves the other. No way, full stop, it is not defendable. Make that very clear. DeMontis Sabonis, after the game, did receive an x-ray on his ribs and uh, got his lungs looked at to see if there's any damage. I'm hoping and optimistic that there's nothing wrong considering he finished out the game, but there is absolutely no place for anything like that. It is a dirty, disgusting play from Draymond Green. He deserved to be tossed out of the game. He deserves to have pay taken off the table. He deserves to not be suited up and in Golden State for Game 3. And it's not I'm afraid of Draymond Green or the Sacramento Kings or Draymond Green are afraid of him because they, 
he was a non-factor tonight. He was good in game one with his assist. The Kings still beat him. The Kings aren't afraid of Draymond Green. It's not an advantage, a massive advantage for the Kings for Draymond Green not to play. They clearly can kick the Warriors' ass without Draymond Green out there. Has nothing to do with the series. At this point, it's about protecting players and saying, this stuff is not allowed in our league. I, I, I'm hoping that the commissioner who saw this with his own eyes and the rest of the league office take a good look at this and give the deserved punishment. All right. Now let's talk about the basketball game, right? The Kings beat the Golden State Warriors 114 to 106. I did not expect myself to be able to say this at any point during the series, and maybe I should be able to say it twice at this point. The Sacramento Kings beat the defending champion Golden State Warriors on the back of their defense. The Kings have the champs on the ropes. They do. Now, there's still plenty of time in this series. Of course, the Warriors can go to Golden State, win both games, even it back up, and suddenly it's a best of three. Right? Uh, it can happen. No one's putting the Warriors to bed by any means. But also, nobody expected the Sacramento Kings to be in this position. Nobody should have. Because of what I said in the introduction to the podcast. No team in the Clay, Steph, Draymond era has ever been up 2-0 on the Warriors at any point during a series. It doesn't mean the Warriors can't come back, but it's something that's never been done before, and we have to look at that and give that the attention and the recognition that it deserves. The Warriors are on the ropes, and I'm going to share with you in a little bit why the Warriors should be terrified of the Kings in Game 3 and 4. We will get into that, but I want to share with you an analogy that head coach Mike Brown, Sacramento Kings head coach Mike Brown had before the game. He talked about, he's an MMA fan, right? And he said, coming into this game, the Sacramento Kings have to be on the attack. He said, in MMA, if you're a challenger, you have to go and take the belt off of the champion. You can't play defensively or fight defensively and hope to win. The Sacramento Kings came out tonight not trying to defend their 1-0 lead in the series. They came out trying to make it 2-0 on their home floor. They came out on the attack. And once again, offensively, they didn't play great. We'll get into that in a little bit. Because the Kings won this game on the backs of their defense. They weren't hitting shots early on, but they won because they had 11 steals. They forced 22 Warrior turnovers in this game and scored 25 points off those 22 turnovers. The Warriors have not done a good job protecting the basketball for the majority of this season. They have not done a good job protecting the basketball in this series. Give the Sacramento Kings credit. They're attacking. They're playing with physicality, which is a big question mark in this team during the regular season and something Mike Brown challenged this team to do and prepare for coming into the playoffs. Those were his two main focuses, playing with pace, and playing with physicality. Well, the Kings are playing with pace and physicality on both ends of the floor and really embracing it on the defensive end of the floor. That's why you're seeing these jumped passing lanes. That's why you're seeing these deflections. You're seeing guys trying to poke the ball loose, get out and transition. That was really the only way the Sacramento Kings were scoring in the first half, especially the first quarter. I shouldn't say the first half because they exploded for 41 points in the second quarter. But the first quarter... It was basically all offense from the Kings happening off of the backs of their defense. And for the second straight game, we saw a Kings team that was able to withstand the Warrior potential for offense without their offense being their defense, their armor, if that makes sense. Like, typically, the Sacramento Kings have just outscored people. Okay, you can score a lot of points. We're just going to try and score more. The Kings this time are going, well, we're still going to try and score as much as possible. We still have a lot of good open looks, but defensively, we're going to make sure that the Warriors don't get good looks either. So even if our shots aren't falling, we're still very much in the game. And then the Kings doing a good job taking care of the basketball themselves. They had 14 turnovers in this game. The Warriors only scored nine points off those turnovers. The second straight game 
that the Warriors have scored less than double digits on Kings turnovers. That's huge considering how lethal this team is off of turnovers, punishing teams that make mistakes and getting out in transition. For the second straight game, the Kings didn't allow the Warriors to do that. But here's the best part of this stat. 14 turnovers for the game, only two in the second half for zero Warriors points. So when it mattered, second half, even when the Warriors were making their push, making their run, the Kings were taking care of the basketball. They weren't fueling the fire. They weren't making mistakes. They looked composed despite the push that the Warriors were making on a stage that, again, nobody thought the Sacramento Kings would be ready for against the defending champions because they had not been here before. And yet here they are on this stage going toe-to-toe with the champs and, quite frankly, for the majority of the game, outplaying them. The Kings were the better team basically start to finish tonight. Not debatable. The Warriors were trying to play catch-up the entire night, made a couple of big pushes, but the Kings were able to slam the door and respond multiple times when they needed to. It's the Kings that looked like the champions and the Warriors that looked like the young team trying to figure things out. But in reality, it's the young Kings who know how to win and are better than maybe we even realized and can make a deeper run than maybe we even realized against a Golden State Warriors team that I told you coming into the season is trending down. They might be the defending champs. They might have the greatest shooter ever lived and a great supporting cast of Splash Brothers, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, whatever, blah, 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 blah. They are trending down. They are older. The Kings are on the up and up, and that's been made very clear for how this series has gone to this point. De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell were excellent, again, not just uh, on the offensive end of the floor for De'Aaron for the second straight night. He was great defensively. And then I realized last night or, or yesterday when I was listening back to Saturday's podcast I didn't give Davion Mitchell the credit that he deserved in game one. So I'm going to make sure not to make that mistake here in game two. Davion Mitchell was excellent defensively. He played a good portion of his uh, minutes in crunch time, important moments in the second half. A lot of that had to do with Kevin Herter getting into foul trouble, but also Davion Mitchell was more than capable of defending Steph Curry. Curry scored 28 points, so it's hard to say the Kings held Steph Curry to 28 points. But like Mike Brown said postgame, The Kings made Steph Curry work, which is all you can hope to do. Steph Curry went 3 of 13 from three-point range. The Kings made him run, and we know chasing Steph Curry is exhausting in itself. De'Aaron Fox took on that challenge to start the game, and for the most part to close the game, although Davion Mitchell got his number called a lot in the second half, took on that challenge, and for the majority of this game, actually won that challenge. Compare that to rookie Davion Mitchell last year being schooled by Steph Curry a couple times, and he called that his welcome to the NBA moment. Now, he played like an NBA veteran defensively, and he did everything that he could to make Steph Curry have as rough of a night as possible, and the Kings, of course, took advantage of that with the 114-106 to victory. Again, I'm going to share with you why I think the Warriors should be terrified of the Sacramento Kings in games three and four in just a second. Like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Lockdown Kings podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the number one way to play daily fantasy sports. The way it works, you pick two to five players and pick the over or the under on their projected scoring total. So for the game tonight, maybe you took Steph Curry over 30 and a half points. You took De'Aaron Fox under uh, 29 and a half points or whatever it, it may have been. Well, if you got those right, you can make up to 25 times your money. Prize Picks is the number one way to play daily fantasy sports. It's a ton of fun. It's just you versus the projections, so you're not taking on uh, anybody, any of those sharks out there that make a living and make money off of just beating you at something that's supposed to be fun and enjoyable for you. 
and they have it for not just the NBA playoffs, of course, and just NBA basketball period. They have it for MLB baseball right now, during football season, college athletics, combat sports, even uh, European sports, some of the obscure sports that you might think of, uh, like cricket and things like that. They have it at soccer as well. You can go and check it out right now. And when you sign up, make sure first-time users use promo code Locked On to get 100% instant deposit match up to $100. That's promo code Locked On. You deposit $100, you get $100 back. You deposit $50, you get $50 back. It's free money for you to make money on Prize Picks, the number one way to play daily fantasy sports. Yes, the Warriors are still the champs. No, this series is not over by any means. But the Warriors are on the ropes, and they should be terrified of the haymakers that are still coming from the Sacramento Kings, and I'll tell you why. The Kings' offense still has not scratched the surface of their potential. I know they scored 126 points in Game 1. I shared with you then, and I'll say it again. They scored that many points because of the pace of the game, not because of the rate and the percentage that the Sacramento Kings shot. Sure, they finished the game 8 of 10 from 3-point range, but they started 4 of 22 in that game. They're far more capable of shooting 11 of 22, or maybe just under that, 10 or 9 of 22, which would put the Kings up big early. And I'm telling you, in this game tonight, the Kings offense, had they hit their shots, they went 0 of 10 from three-point range to start this game. I think it was 0 of 11 maybe at one point. I think it was De'Aaron Fox who hit the first three. Regardless, the Kings started out slow once again from three-point range. Some credit I want to give to the Golden State Warriors for forcing the Kings to take those perimeter shots, but really what the Warriors were doing was gumming up the paint and forcing the Kings to shoot. Early on, it was working. Again, the defense for the Kings helped them stay in the game, which I give them credit for. But if the Kings are hitting those shots, and at some point those shots are going to fall for this team, there's just too many lethal shooting weapons on this roster. If those shots start falling, this game could have gotten ugly very, very quickly. And on top of that, defensively, the Sacramento Kings all season long have been a better defensive team on the road than they've been at home. Now, based off of how well they're playing defensively here to start this season, maybe we can throw that out of the window because maybe it doesn't matter as much. But I expect the Sacramento Kings to go into that hostile environment in Golden State because as much as I understand, Kings fans are going to be making a trip down and we're going to see some purple in there and hopefully they're going to be making a little bit of noise. That's going to be a primary Golden State Warriors hostile crowd that is going to try and motivate their team back into this series. That should be the expectation no matter what. And the Kings like that pressure. They like to play spoiler. They've done it all season long. It fuels their fire on the defensive end of the floor. Will they stay consistent with that on the road? If they do, they can potentially be even better defensively or just as good defensively as they were in this building without the crowd behind them to support. Like I mentioned, the Kings shot 9 of 38 from three-point range in this game tonight. That's 23.7%. Sacramento Kings are a way better three-point shooting team than 23.7%. Can I make this as perfectly clear for you as possible? The Sacramento Kings defeated the Golden State Warriors in a playoff game, in their first trip to the playoffs in 17 years, while shooting 23.7% from three-point range. If I had told you that coming into the series, all of you, Kings fans included, would have laughed at me. Because I believed, like we all believed, the Kings were going to have to score and shoot lights out basically almost every game this series if they wanted a chance to win. But here they are, up 2-0, and their offense has not been as good as it's capable of being. The Kings and Warriors... We're even on the boards in tonight's game, but here's what's important. The Kings dominated the boards in game one. Maybe not dominated, but they were up pretty decent on the boards in game one. But here's what's important. The Kings beat the Warriors on the boards 12-9 to on the offensive boards. I'm sorry, that's, that's supposed to be Kevon Looney's, like, wheelhouse, right? Those second-chance opportunities. Boy, the Warriors can kill you with those second-chance opportunities. The Kings dominated second-chance points in this game. So where the Warriors are supposed to be really good and have advantages over the Kings, the Kings have beat them 
where the Warriors are supposed to be better defensively, the Kings have played better defense. Where the Warriors are supposed to have an offense that can keep up with the Kings, they haven't, uh, they haven't needed to because the Kings' offense hasn't been that good. But offensively, they haven't been that good either because of how the Kings' defense is playing on them. The Kings have matched up with the Golden State Warriors and beat them in almost every facet of the game so far in this series. You talk about the points in the paint advantage, right? The Sacramento Kings won 54-40 to points in the paint. We know the Sacramento Kings like to attack the basket. When the three-point shots weren't falling, the Kings did a good job getting to that mid-range game, even though they got off to a dreadful start from behind the arc. I think they were shooting like upwards of 80% from the, the, the field, uh, from two-point field goals, rather, uh, towards the end of the first quarter or early on in the second quarter. So this team could still score in and around the paint, even though the Warriors were making it as difficult as possible for the Kings to take lanes to the rim. I think the 40 points allowed for the second straight game, the Kings gave up 40 or I think it was like 40 or 41 or 42 that the Warriors scored in the paint in game one as well. What does that say to me? The Sacramento Kings have been giving layup lines to teams, especially in this gym over the course of the regular season. They've nipped that in the bud and forced the Golden State Warriors to try and beat them with Hail Mary threes. And yes, they have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, but even those two guys haven't been able to score from the, uh, range from deep at the rate that they need to in order to be successful in this series. The Warriors should be terrified of the Sacramento Kings because defensively, They've played better on the road, and there's no reason to believe that they won't play at least the same way on the road that they've played in these first two home games. That's number one. And number two, the Sacramento Kings offense is far more capable than what the Warriors have seen in these first two games. And if those shots start falling, it's like an avalanche. The Warriors are just going to get swept up in it. Let's talk about individual uh, shout-outs really quick. I already talked about De'Aaron Fox and Devonta, or uh, Davion Mitchell and what they did. DeMontis Sabonis, despite getting stomped in the freaking ribs, had 24 points, 8 of 12 from the field, 9 rebounds, played nearly 40 minutes in this game, an absolute warrior from Sabonis. A nice bounce-back game for him. Still not nearly as good as he's capable of playing. It's rare to see Sabonis not finish with a double-double, but he fought, he battled, he just gets beat the hell up every single night, and it's no surprise the Warriors are beating him up down low. Separate. <laughs> from stomping on his chest. I'm just talking about the physicality uh, that he plays with. Malik Monk, second straight game. He was the Energizer Bunny. He was uh, essential to the success of the Sacramento Kings. He didn't score 31 like he did in game one, but he still had 18 points, five of 10 from the field, three assists, and really that doesn't that number doesn't do it justice because he's taken over that primary um, role, uh, playmaking role with that second unit, and of course can also share the floor with De'Aaron Fox a lot of times, hit some big threes to get the Kings' offense going a little bit, especially in that second quarter. I thought Kevin Herter didn't look like as good as he's capable of being, which is another reason why the Warriors should be a little bit concerned, because Kevin Herter can go off at any time, like we've seen this season. Still had 15 points, 6 of 14 from the field, only 2 of 9 from 3-point range, however, 5 rebounds and 2 blocks. Kevin Herter doing what Mike Brown has challenged this entire team to do all season long, which is be more than just a shooter. Even though Kevin's shots weren't falling, especially early, I know he got into foul trouble, but he was doing his work on the glass. He was doing his work trying to get his teammates involved. Had two blocked shots. Did get into foul trouble, but he got into foul trouble because he was fighting through screens, playing hard, and playing with that defensive intensity that this Kings team demanded of everybody coming into this game. And then finally, Alex Len. Another stat line that's not impressive, not sexy, but four points in eight minutes. He gave eight minutes of rest to DeMontis Sabonis, and during those eight minutes, the Kings didn't look like they were in trouble at all. That's all you can ask for, considering how concerned we were about those minutes earlier on in the season. Alex Len had a couple of big dunks, a couple of big moments, I think he had a block shot too. Alex Len has just been awesome, and it's been really fun watching him take advantage of that opportunity and carve out that role for himself, no matter how brief his minutes are. 
It is after midnight here inside of the Golden One Center. You best believe I'm looking forward to hitting my pillow when I get home, but I can feel my tummy rumbling a little bit. Thankfully, I have a Built Bar waiting for me in my car. Built Bars are protein bars that taste like candy bars. Look, this late at night, we love that sweet tooth, right? We want to eat something that's not good for us, that makes us feel good, especially after a victory. So why not eat a, a, a brownie batter bar or a churro bar or my favorite, a mint brownie bar? These are protein bars covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to to chew. They're only 130 calories, only 17, or rather have 17 grams of protein while only having five grams of sugar. Yeah, that's real. Those stats are real. That's an impressive stat line for a protein bar. On top of that, they have their granola bars that you can check out. They have their protein-infused marshmallows, which are their Built Bar Puffs. Give all those a try. You can order a box and all their products on Built.com at any time, or you can go to Walmart or Sam's Club. Go to the pharmacy section, get yourself a box, give them a try. You won't be disappointed. Built.com. We might have some hard, hard truth to accept here from a Sacramento Kings standpoint, including yours truly here, who is the biggest Keegan Murray fan on the planet, as you know. Keegan Murray might not be ready for this spot, or at least might not be ready to play in this position in important minutes as a starter in the playoffs against the defending champion Golden State Warriors. It could be a matchup thing. Could just be the stage is too bright and too big for someone who has not had that experience and has not worked his way through those kinks. And you know what? That's a, That's okay. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's any reason to overreact. Of course, offensively, you would love to get more from him than just two points on 0 of 1 shooting. He scored both of his points at the free throw line, for God's sake, even though he played 16 minutes. Like, you need more offensively from Keegan Murray, of course, especially if you want to be the offensive team that you expect to be. Now, I'm just saying this. The Kings' defense has also allowed them to make up for the lack of production from Keegan Murray in his minutes. I don't think defensively he's been terrible. He also hasn't been great. It's made more sense for him to step out and guys like Davion Mitchell or Malik Monk or other guys to step in and play. Mike Brown, I think, is making the absolute right decision, and I know Keegan Murray is not taking it personally. I know I'm sure he wants to be out there way more than he's playing at this point in time, but hey, you're a rookie. Mike Brown said in this pregame conference, no other team drafted in his position is in the same position that he's in. No other rookie is in that same position. In fact, you look through the history books, other than players like Scotty Barnes and uh, Donovan Mitchell recently, there aren't too many rookies that come in and have dominant or significant roles in the playoffs that have a lot of success. So it's okay. The Kings are still winning despite Keegan Murray not being available uh, or, or being as good as the Kings expect him to be as a starting four and a floor spacer. He still has time in this series to make his impact. Again, maybe it's a matchup base. Maybe the Kings move on and play the Lakers or the Memphis Grizzlies, which would be incredible in round two. And maybe that's a better matchup for Keegan. Or maybe he's learned a little bit by that point. I have no idea. But I think the Kings should continue to ride with him as their starter, get him out there, get him that experience, and see if he grows <coughs> Excuse me, game to game uh, like he's been doing throughout the regular season. I'm adjusting my prediction here. I'm adjusting my prediction. Initially, it was Kings and seven. Now I'm riding in Kings and six. I can't go down to Kings and five because I'm sticking true with my, um, my prediction that this series is going to go six or seven games. I just feel like it has to. But if it's going to end in five games now, it's going to be because of the Sacramento Kings. I really don't think the Warriors are going to beat the Kings four out of the next five times. Of course, the defending champs, you never say never. But not only are the Kings playing very well against the Warriors right now defensively, they're capable of playing much better offensively. They're not a horrible team on the road like the Warriors have been this season. On top of that, 
Look how much the Golden State Warriors are leaning on their top guys so far. Steph Curry played 41 minutes tonight. Klay Thompson played 38. Andrew Wiggins played 39. Meanwhile, you've got guys like Dante DiVincenzo with just 12 minutes off the bench. Jordan Poole, who's been basically unplayable in this series so far because you can't hide him on defense. And offensively, he's just kind of flailing and throwing everything up there. I got a clip of... De'Aaron Fox mocking Jordan Poole for cutting baseline on Fox. Fox cut him off. He kind of flailed and flopped, got the foul call. But that's really all Jordan Poole is doing in this series and has done in this series to this point. The Warriors are not getting enough help out of their bench. Their strength and numbers mantra is nowhere to be seen. Meanwhile, the Kings' depth has been essential during this 2-0 start. Kings and six. I'm changing my prediction, feeling very good about that. Very excited to go to San Francisco. I'll be leaving on Wednesday. I'll be there from Wednesday all the way through to Monday. So games three uh, and games four. Plus we'll have all sorts of content, not just for Locked on Kings, but on ABC 10 from San Francisco. I'm very excited about that. More podcasts and things like that too. So I hope you will join me for that. Thank you to everybody who I saw here uh, in uh, the Golden Ones Center or around the Golden Ones Center today. You guys are all amazing. You know who you are. I appreciate you so, so much. And for those of you who are coming to Chase Center to try and make it Golden One Center Bay Area. I appreciate you and can't wait to see you there as well. Kings win 114 to 106. They're up 2 0 on the champs. The champs are on the ropes, and the Sacramento Kings are still throwing haymakers. My name is Matt George. You have been listening to the Locked On Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.